Welcome to episode 32 of Void Video. I'm your host, Evan Jordan, a.k.a. That Evan Jordan on Twitter. And I am Nick, a.k.a. Agent Relic on Twitter. And today we have a Candyman double feature for you. And uh, that, that that's number one. Just just a heads up. Oh, shit. <laughs> what I got four more times now before yeah. I... Or no, three, really. Because if I say it the, the fourth, then that's it, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You need, to, you need to come up with an alternate name. Right now, like yeah, we need I, like a code name for Candyman. Wow, that's two. Damn. Oh fuck, <laughs> man, this is happening so fast. We're like thirty seconds into the episode. <laughs> we need a code name for the person who peddles sweets to kids. <laughs> this is our double feature. Looking back at the uh, the nineteen ninety two entry into the the Seaman franchise and. <laughs> Uh, we're going to follow that up with a discussion of uh, the 2021 Seaman, directed by Nia DaCosta, that we both recently went and saw in theaters. And we're going to give you, you know, a spoiler-free chat about that and tell you what we thought without ruining it for you. Because uh, it moves fast and there's a lot we can't talk about, so we're going to kind of skim through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's only like 90 minutes and it moves really fast with a lot happening quickly yeah, so it's, it's it's hard to talk about without spoiling it but we will do our best and i guess we'll dive right in uh to the first candy man here which three i actually man. oh fuck <laughs> man we're one more time right and i'm at four already and then i'm then i'm on the death the cusp of death like we're so close it's so it's, you're just you're just rolling through when i haven't said it one time <laughs> oh man oh okay um let me be right back i'm gonna go break all the mirrors in my house real quick <laughs> i mean you're st- like i mean the black mirror in front of you your monitor oh that's true yeah damn it <laughs> there's no escaping this you know just like for the characters in c-man 92 there's no escaping uh i almost said it again <laughs> there's yeah. no escaping their fate <laughs> Um, I will. I'll say, especially in the second one too. There's a lot of creative uses of um, like mirrors to, to like the elevator, because yeah. like the whole elevator is a mirror, so you can see the reflection everywhere. And yeah, I th- I think that they play with it a lot in both movies, but definitely the second one kind of ramps. It's it up. a it's a fun callback since Jordan Jordan Peele uh helped write it. To there's some cool use of mirrors in in us as well. Because uh, they have that like house of mirrors and all that stuff. And yeah, that was kind of a uh, a neat little uh, like oh he helped him write it and then you know and then they added all the mirror shots in which is cool. I wonder if he like was a purveyor of the mirror shot <laughs> during this whole process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the original is a 1992. I, I, it's classified as a horror film. But I, I like we both would probably consider it more mystery than horror. Although I do think it has yeah probably the most terrifying killer because it, it's just his presence, which we'll get into. I guess I think is more terrifying than anything else, you know, out there really. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, definitely. But it's based on a short story by Clive Barker called the The Forbidden, and it adapts that and adds different elements, and it's about a college graduate student it's weird because she seems way older like she definitely does right she has a vibe of like somebody who's not a college student like who's like well i think she's older than a college student which i guess that's why she's a grad student yeah i was gonna say i think she's in her 30s but anyway she uh she's uh gonna write a paper on the urban legend of uh Candyman, which that's my number one so one. <laughs> um, and essentially, the... she 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 gets in over her head too with this. She like she not only wants to to explore this and write about it. She wants to like go there and see if she can like manifest this this fucker. You know, like she's she wants to get knee deep in this stuff. Yeah, and. So the urban legend is um, in Cabrini Green, there is a, the enigma is 
summoned when you say his name five times. And when you say his name five times, he comes for you and kills you. So, uh, it's definitely, uh, <laughs> I think right off the bat, too, she says it, like, as a joke, uh, five times. Within, yeah, she does. Yeah, like, yeah. It, like, so you know she, like, doesn't take it seriously as far as the legend itself goes. She's more interested in exploring the, how did it begin and, like, what, what is it? And, like, and you isn't know, it? the deeper it, meaning behind it. Yeah, is it real? Which... I think that's probably the reason I love this movie so much is that it's one of the few movies that explores superstition and urban legends in this way. Like, I, I can't think of another, especially a horror film that explores Yeah, where it doesn't, it. like, tell you one way or the other as the viewer. Uh, yeah. It, you're, like, you're, is the urban legend itself real? You know? Yeah. Oh, and, like, growing up, you hear about, you know, Bloody Mary, you know, you say Bloody Mary five times in the mirror. Um you know, she comes to kill you, or, you know, you hear about these other crazy... I think, like, candy... God oh, damn. That's two. There's two, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, You've done he, so good so far. <laughs> he's based on um both Bloody Mary and The Hook, which is a killer with a hook for a hand who attacks couples in a, in a parked car, which I guess is, like, a real event that happened in, like... I was going to say, where did that come from? The hook. That's wild. Yeah, Fuck. It's, so he, he is based on real things that happen. And like the so in the she goes to Cabrini Green because well, like multiple times, I, like during break, when we get to go to the bathroom, we'd all be standing in front of the mirror, you know, like trying yeah. to summon Bloody Mary and shit. That's just like some kid, you know, middle school stuff you used to do and. Like that's, I think that makes it so effective that it's just like it's just like something you've likely participated in, you know? <laughs> yeah, and like she goes to Cabrini Green, she goes to this like rundown apartment building, and she finds like the scene of the crime that was committed, and she finds like a a secret hatch behind the mirror, and like that is a real thing apparently that the directors and them found that like is a real thing. So, like, even that is rooted in reality of, you know, uh, a serial killer who used those hatches behind a mirror to attack people. Wow. That's crazy. And that's something that you've seen now used a bunch, right? In modern movies, like, where there's some kind of hole behind the mirror or whatever. But, like, that back then, that was a pretty, like, fresh concept, I feel like. Yeah, and it's interesting because Helen, who's the main character and who's writing the paper, um, you know, tells this kid um, that's, you know, at the, the apartment building that uh, the Enigma, <laughs> I'm just going to call him the Enigma. <laughs> the Enigma, there we go. <laughs> the Enigma is, um, he's just a story like Dracula or Frankenstein, but both, it's interesting that she chose Dracula and Frankenstein because those both have roots in reality as well. So, like, that's kind of the writers hinting at, like, hey, this is rooted in reality too, you know? Right, right. Also, before I forget, because I know I'll forget, we'll sidebar on other stuff. Another movie that I recommend listeners go check out that does handle an urban legend in a similar way, uh, but it does lean one way or the other by the end, but it throughout the movie it handles it in a similar way, is Butterfly Kisses, uh, which is a found footage movie. But it handles an urban legend in a really cool way too, and... That's definitely something you should check out if you're into this kind of stuff. But anyway, you could go ahead with what you were saying. I just, I knew I'd forget that. Yeah, I was just saying, like, it's, you know, the legend itself is rooted in reality. And, like, they paid a lot of attention to detail to try to make it seem as real as possible. Like, but the, like, the legend is completely made up for the movie, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and it was cool. It's cool that they, they took stuff from reality to make it relatably scary and stuff and and to root it in in non-fiction but then they also created a character so they could do their own cool weird shit with it which they do with the like the bees and all the different like you know s specific aspects that are tailored to the enigma yeah and like there's some really gory sequences in this <laughs> like oh yeah because she, like literally uh Virginia Madsen does snow angels in a pool of blood at one point. 
Yeah, so... <laughs> I guess we could say... I, I, can we spoil the original? I mean, it's... I think so. It's from 1990. It's older than me, so... Yeah, so essentially she, uh... She blacks out and she wakes up and this this Rottweiler is beheaded, which is interesting because in the second one they bring that up. You know, they're telling the, the, the story of uh, Helen from the first movie in the second movie. And they're, you know, telling the story and like, oh, she beheaded a, a Rottweiler. And somebody's like, that can't be true. Nobody can fight a Rottweiler. <laughs> and they're like debunking <laughs> it based on that aspect alone. <laughs> yeah. That, I thought that was kind of clever. Um. And if you've ever seen a Rottweiler, like, that's that's sound logic. <laughs> like, my grandparents had Rottweilers whenever I was a, a kid. And I remember being so terrified of those dogs just because... And they weren't even, like, mean. It was just... They're so big, right? And, like, <laughs> they're just scary looking. <laughs> yeah, and I wouldn't consider the original a very scary film, but that would... There's definitely the first, like, scary moment is that jump scare with the Rottweiler. And, like, it reminded yeah. me of that Resident... Like, the original Resident Evil... Like game oh, yeah. when they jump, like the dogs jump through the window, and you're like, "Oh, that's the first, uh, you know, jump jump scare." <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good comparison. I didn't think about that, but yeah, those dogs are terrifying. Yeah, but I wouldn't consider it. It's definitely a horror film, but it's I, horror flavored. But it's it's like not. It doesn't try to be scary, really. It's yeah. more interested in presenting you with a, a layered story, which's got a good mystery, you know. Yeah, yeah, and as she's exploring, as she's getting these different, she kind of she she finds a bunch of different leads kind of along the way, and she's kind of getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Like she's, you know, she meets the the woman who lives in Caprini Green and and has uh, a baby and everything who kind of wants to to escape that life and can't. Yeah, and that's who she wakes up in and is like swimming in the blood of is you know that like her room you know her apartment right because like we're spoiling the movie so we can say that like the first yeah. movie we could definitely um because chances are if you're listening to this you're th- like looking for our thoughts on the new one so i guess we could spoil right. the original <laughs> definitely right. yeah if you haven't seen it though i would definitely highly recommend it uh i'm not sure yeah. which service it's on but uh it's not on a service um because i i've rented this actually i don't own it or anything so i rented this um to watch it before we went and saw the new one and it's only like four dollars though to rent so it's pretty cheap to to rent and i think worth a watch because it it in improved my enjoyment of the 2021 film uh having just watched that one and and i actually i thought i'd seen the original film but i hadn't um i had actually seen what i think was the third one on uh on tv years ago and i and i always thought that that was the original that i saw i was younger when i saw it and then after watching this one recently i realized now nah, i've never seen this so that was the first time for me and i admittedly was not as high on it as most people but i will say having seen the new one i came out liking the original better also uh uh-huh. Because the origi- they, they both play on each other so much, you know. The original is on Tubi. <laughs> is you, it? Yes. Oh, okay. I, say, I knew it was on something. Like, there's no way it's not on something, but it's on Tubi. With, so if you want to watch it with ads. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why I rented it, was to avoid the ads. But, but yeah, that's definitely a good option if you don't want to drop that, that money for it. Yeah, but essentially, uh, throughout the movie, she kind of becomes... She gets consumed by this whole thing, Yeah, really. consumed by it, like of the the presence of him and the first time he shows up is like 45 minutes into the movie i think which is oh yeah crazy because you're like you know for 45 minutes you're like oh is he ever gonna show up (laughs) yeah to me to be a movie that's titled the enigma you know (laughs) uh it the enigma shows up very late (laughs) yeah and the first time he shows up it's just awesome like he's just in a parking like a parking uh structure and he's just standing there and he like his voice tony todd who plays um him is just i know his voice has such a presence to him it definitely does that it's just Tonight our congregation. 
congregation shall witness a new miracle. And like he was big in uh like in the original script there was no backstory for him and Tony Todd was like, Hey, he needs a backstory. So Tony Todd wrote the backstory of he was a a slave who impregnated his master's wife and then was chased throughout the town and burned, right? His master's daughter, because he he was a he was a painter, right? And he was painting a portrait of um of the of the uh, the master's daughter, and she she was a virgin and everything, and they fell in love, and he got her pregnant, yeah, and they like chased him down and beat him, and then uh, lit him on fire, yeah, and then he haunts Cabrini Green as like redemption, I guess, yeah. And like, yeah, haunts those grounds forever because of uh, how wrongly he was done, you know? Yeah, and the whole thing's like a metaphor for like, never forget the history of the place you live at, really. Like, yeah. In both movies, they definitely play on that a lot. Like, don't forget. You know, he says, uh, at one point in the movie, like, his catchphrase is, I am the writing on the wall, the whispers in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. Like, so he, he feeds off of people talking about him and telling stories about him and summoning him, right. you know? So, like, he, he plays on that fear a lot. Yeah, yeah, he gains power from, from you know, being in people's minds and, and mouths. Which is why I, I love this movie, because it's that, that power in... He doesn't even have to exist. It's just the mere thought of him. Like, it clearly affects this entire... Because, like... Uh, Helen's friend was like when in the beginning Helen is you know saying the name five times in the mirror and the friend is like no you shouldn't be doing that like she takes that seriously and like the pe the residents of you know around Cabrini Green take the legend seriously like there's like there's definitely a right. presence felt his presence his presence is felt even if he doesn't exist you know and right. I think that's very powerful yeah and I think it 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 kind of also speaks to to the fact that some things exist as much as you allow them to, you know? Like, it, you you can conjure something up in your head, you know, that it will consume you. Yeah, and it's far scarier than anything that's really there, you know? Right, yeah, right. And, and Tony Todd has compared um, his character to... Uh, uh, the Phantom of the Opera and the Hunchback of the of Notre Dame. So, like, and yeah. those are two characters who kind of hide under the the shadows. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he was very instrumental, huh, in, in kind of crafting this character. And, yeah, and br like bringing it to life and actually kind of giving it the, the details and the the depth that it has. Yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely I would be interested to watch the sequels, but I almost think the mystery of that original movie is just it's so hard. There's there's just nothing like it, I think. And it's just like I love that ambiguity of it all like is because every time you see him, like you don't hear his footsteps. So like that, you know, is a subtle clue of, oh, he doesn't exist. But then like he's cl clearly manipulating things in the world. So right like it's right like, he does he he exists in in whatever capacity you kind of believe he exists in but you know whether it be within somebody's mind or whether it be in the physical realm but he's very much alive you know uh well, i can't say his name it's so tough <laughs> yeah and i didn't even mention the uh, technical aspects of the film yet either and like there's a opening title sequence that's like an a, an aerial shot that used something called the sky cam that became like it was like one of the first times it was ever used and it became like revolutionary and like i think you said like news media uses it now you know yeah that's crazy that they did something that now is just so common that like yeah the news uses it and stuff like that's wild and i i mentioned to jess we all watched this together since we all went to see the new one together as soon as it started i was like man it's a really really nice looking uh aerial shot and it's long like it's yeah, and it's smooth. it's like follows the highway yeah it's very smooth and like follows the highway and you see the cars and stuff and it's just really 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 polished and well done also you know one of my favorite things about any movie is the uh the score and uh philip glass's score in this original movie is just 
iconic. Like, I love, love, love the score in this movie. It's one of my favorites yeah. in any horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, the score is really good. And and I think it's it, it's got the same subtleties. I wonder who did who did the new movie score. Yeah, I'm not sure, but um apparently they're very similar, I feel like. I don't wonder if it was like they did it as I an actually, homage or I was gonna say I actually didn't feel the score as much in the new one. It was a little subtler, I think, yeah. than than it was in the in the original. Yeah, it didn't impact me as much as it did in the original. Um but uh Philip Glass signed on to to uh, compose the the score and he actually thought the final project was going to be something different. So he thought it would be an artful version of Clive Barker's short story The Forbidden and it ended up in his view a low budget slasher. So he was very disappointed and he felt manipulated. Wow. With the uh, you know, the final product, but which is crazy because that score is so iconic and just like <laughs> he even says yeah, right here. That's wild. He says right here, um, his uh, view of it is softened over time. And uh, he says uh, it has become a classic. So I still make money from that score. Get checks every year. <laughs> so like, obviously, you know, he, 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 he that definitely softens you when you see that check rolling every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's probably, I mean, definitely in my top and horror scores, for sure. Like, it's just really, really good. And throughout the whole movie, there's so many, like, great audio, you know, opposition, like, yeah. pieces. Yeah, that's one thing that I think the the second movie does a lot of the playing with the audio, but I think that maybe they, the, the score kind of falls to the background more than it does in the in the first one, where it's, like, both the audio design and the score are at the forefront, it just, you know? In the original, it has the, the score has such a presence with like that those like organs and just like you know they're they're right. in yeah, your it's, face. Yeah, well, as soon as it opens with that aerial shot, it's playing and it's like it sets the tone perfectly. You know, yeah, it has like like very gothic horror sound to it, and like the, yeah. the new one isn't that type of movie, so it can't have that. And I think even the presence of the enigma kind of symbolizes that in the new one as well. Like he's very he's not as like brooding as he is yeah. in the original. And like I think that translates to the score. But I also think that the new one didn't need with the stuff with what the what they were trying to do with the new one, they didn't need that, you know? Right. Yeah. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but I guess I mean I don't know what do you want to say about the original. I mean I think it's it's a it's a classic for me. One of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, it's it's good. I, I I think it the second one warmed me up to it, like I said, or a little second. I say the new one warmed me up to it more than I uh had felt initially. Um and I think, you know, us talking about it has definitely helped and probably going back and watching it again. I may even would go up, you know, another half a star on my on my score. But I definitely still prefer the new one, but I think there's so much here that's just really well done and really has a lot of depth to it and is absolutely worth your time you know yeah, and there's a lot of like political subtext to all of this you know of yeah like, which was ahead of its time too yeah definitely very ahead of its time and very um it's very subtle in the first one but in the in the, in the new one especially it's very um in your face with its uh yeah more on the nose with it it's not really like it's less of a metaphor and more but I a statement yeah i think like back then in the 90s it was harder to say it and like it nowadays was. yeah so nowadays it's like it needs to be in your face to get the point across you know yeah so like yeah we definitely just... live in two different <laughs> yeah <laughs> we definitely live in two different societies <laughs> i started yeah. saying it and then i was like i sound like we live in a society <laughs> we live in a society we're <laughs> 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 But yeah, we do live in two different societies than than when you know the original came out. So it's it's definitely a, a product of the time. I think the way that they're both structured and play out. Yeah, um, it's weird though that, that that to be so different and to be thirty years apart that they both feel like the like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, because they both you know? have the same sort of journey to them, like throughout. It's just they're told differently. Right. Like right. It's, people being consumed by the idea of him 
Right. And I guess with that note, we can slide on into... Uh... Well, I guess we could say the ending of the original. She essentially becomes the new him. Like, she... So throughout the movie, she's, like, linked to these crimes. She, like, blacks out. She get, wakes up and, you know, she's done these things. And in the very end, she... Essentially, he offers her... Um, so he kidnaps a baby and offers... You know, she tries to make a deal that, hey, you keep the baby safe and I will do whatever you want. So uh, she uh, rescues the baby and is consumed in, like, this bonfire. And then she becomes the new him because she's, like, summoned at the end by her husband. Yeah, her in, uh, in, in fidel husband. Is that how you'd word that? Her, uh, <laughs> because he's, he's. I don't think that's how you'd say that. Is a, it, it, her piece of shit husband. Yeah. Her infidel <laughs> husband. Her fucking. <laughs> yeah, she's uh she's summoned by her um unfaithful husband who's yeah unfaithful. Piece of shit. That's the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And she uh yeah she guts him in the bathroom. Yeah. So it's like she has become the new. But in the all right, so I guess we could yeah get on to the I guess because this is the fourth se- or third sequel, right? So there's two other right. movies and then this one. But I don't think does the 2021 movie connect to either of the other sequels? That's what I it don't does know. not. It's it, no, it's just like Halloween 2018 where it disregards the other sequels and is a direct sequel to the first. But so. I also think with the way the 2021 film is told both of the sequels could exist because yeah they tell multiple interpretations of the legend in the 2021 right. movie in the 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 end credits of the 2021 movie this is not a spoiler but will will tell you through these amazing like silhouette animated sequences yeah, they're like shadow puppets almost the, yeah, the looks, silhouette I, like, I wonder animated. what the reason so good cuz like that's a really weird choice but i i love the art of that I think it was to avoid having those shitty looking flashback sequences of the first movie. And I think it's brilliant because like it would have looked so bad if they had like the original because the visual styles are kind of different. And I think it would have not looked right if they had like some kind of weird flashbacks of the first movie to reference those events. So they like tried to create this these shadow puppet sequences, these animated sequences to like avoid doing that i think it worked really well yeah they look incredible whoever animated those i don't know if it was like actually done by hand or if it's all digitally animated it just looks great um yeah it does it reminds me of uh <laughs> going back to resident evil the resident evil village has a few oh yeah of those silhouette animated sequences that i love i just love how it looks and, but these ones are like very minimalistic in the Candyman. Dang, that's what yeah, these reminded me more of. I don't know if you ever got that far in this game since we're referencing games, but Moon Down, that uh, recently released horror game, indie horror game, has I, some shadow puppet stuff. And oh, it looks yeah, really yeah, similar to this. Really I, did, I, I did not realize that's how you. I was like, what do you talk about Moon Down? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought it was like Mundawan or something like that. I no, it's it's I think it's like Moon Down is how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, it's because um, it's uh, the developers from Europe. Yeah, if you want to look it up, it's M U N D A U N. Yeah, definitely Correct. give that a look. It's like a hand penciled. Yeah, you spelled it right. Yeah, uh, um, it's like a hand penciled first person horror game. It's yeah, we might have really butchered cool. the pronunciation of that, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not definitely can't confirm that's how you say it, but that's how you spell it, so you could find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on every platform: PC, Steam, you know, Switch, PS4, Switch, yeah. Um, yeah, but so the movie opens with the legend being told of Helen from the first movie. Correct. Yeah, they're kind of like the the main characters uh, are sitting around their new apartment here. And the legend is, if you say his name five times while looking in the mirror, he appears in the reflection and kills you. So, I thought that we could... <laughs> What did you think? Summon him. <laughs> Anthony McCoy and his, who, who's a, an artist, like a, I say a painter, he's a visual artist. He, he creates like installments and stuff too, but it's definitely centered around his paintings. 
Yeah, what's uh, so he's living in? I, I want to talk to you about that for a second. So he's a painter, and he has these like art pieces, and he shows this art curator critic something one of the pieces, and you know he goes, "That looks boring," or you know, or, or that looks that looks like the Anthony McCoy of five years ago, and I want the new one. And I was like, "Damn, that actually looked pretty good." I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's like the fist and like the the snakes wrapped around it or whatever yeah and i was like man I, that I, looks really cool <laughs> and, and then he shit all over it i was like oh man <laughs> man that's the one thing that like i was super into painting and like doing art stuff myself like that was kind of the route i was like wanting to to go with like my art and stuff earlier in life and i realized that like it's like you have to almost constantly reinvent yourself. In That's that what I was going to say. That particular area of the art world. It moves so fast and changes so fast that you got to always be doing something different. It feels, it seems like it'd be exhausting, honestly. Yeah, it's very rare for even in like film, like a director to do the same thing over and over and over again and have a really long career. Because like even you see like, you know, the joke is Martin Scorsese only makes his gangster movies, but he doesn't really. Like, I mean, if you watch right. them, like they're all different. So, like, he can't right. make the same thing over and over and over and over again, or he wouldn't last. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, like, yeah. every movie's wildly different. He's got a World War II movie, a martial arts movie, a murder mystery. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I think an artist can develop a style and work within it, but people often mistake that for them making the same thing over and over, and it's not. That's just a stylistic thing, you know, that they work within. Yeah, I guess it's hard to tell, or maybe I wasn't paying attention if his past paintings were on the wall or something. Um, but uh, yeah, like the, the I don't think it showed him, but yeah, the critic was, like, was a dick. <laughs> yeah, the critic was kind of a dick, and he's like, "Oh man, you need to do something different." I'm sick of this. So he, uh, you know, is sitting down with his um girlfriend and her brother and his. Yeah, boys. she's actually his girlfriend is actually an, a gallery director. So. Yes. And then, and also, you know what? What puzzles me? That kind of my sidebar on this whole art thing is, isn't that a conflict of interest? Kind of like you're putting your husband's work well, in these galleries. He, that's stuff. brought up. Remember the uh, the guy who owns the the place? He's like, hey, I can't keep putting your shitty, you know, boyfriend's work in my thing. You oh, know? that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He, he he's like, I do not like him. I do not like his art. The only reason I'm putting his art in my uh, show is because of you. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do address that. OK, I was going to say that definitely feels like a conflict of interest there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Anthony's girlfriend's brother, Troy, shares the urban legend of Helen Lyle, which is, you know, the. Uh, Virginia Madsen's character from, yeah, for, the, from the first one. Yeah. So and then, you know, they're talking about Cabrini Green where they live. So the movie takes place in Cabrini Green again. Um, and. Yeah, only the the all the stuff has been torn down that was there before, and now there's these like fancy. The neighborhood's been gentrified, basically. There's like fancy high rise apartments and stuff there now that weren't there in the '90s. Yeah, what did they they said it in the movie in a really smart way, and I just I don't know if I could find the quote with how they oh, described yeah, of, of how what, they word it. Yeah, how they because uh, they pretty much said like. Well, what they do is they take the 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 they basically said the the white people take the ghetto and yeah. tell artists to move to it because hey it's cheap rent you can work in you can have a studio space and then stick it out for two years and we'll we'll build you a Whole Foods that's what they say in the movie I think is like and that's kind of like painfully accurate to to how that often goes you know yeah there's definitely a lot of like yeah of like timely political subtext that's going on. Yeah, yeah, but they like live in a high rise in Cabrini Green, which is like unrecognizable from the 1990. Like, if you didn't like, if they hadn't said Cabrini Green 50 times, you know, you'd be like, oh, is right, this even the same place. <laughs> Good thing Cabrini Green doesn't come and get you if you say its name five times or more. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, but the so the story he tells is that Helen had tried to sacrifice a baby. And, you know, they had, you know, the baby had uh, gotten rescued by the residents of the town before and that she was burned alive, which, as we know from the first movie, is not exactly what happened. And that, right. you know, 
the baby was pretty much kidnapped and then she was trying to save she saved it yeah like it was not exactly like he told it and they kind of they they play with that as the story's told more times and further explored throughout the movie it's always told a little bit different which is pretty realistic and pretty cool that they chose to do that yeah it's once again just like the first one like i said i love like the the urban folklore tale of it's like around the fire you know telling this old story that it's that is actually happening you know and you know the new one where they're like hey you know this is what happened but we know it's kind of not what happened and then they shift it every time like every time exactly one small detail is different yeah it always gets uh you know like fudge just a little every time a different person tells it and then that becomes their the the story that that person they just told knows you know and then they go tell it a little differently to somebody else and so on and so forth yeah but uh after he's told that his art is garbage and that he needs uh you know a spark he goes to uh you know just walk around cabrini green trying to find inspiration in like the town he grew up in or like the city right. kind of where he in. came from you know going back to his roots yeah, so, and he thinks the legend of, you, you know who, you know. The, you said who, it, you got he, you got a few more times you can get in here before he, the end, he, What do they say in Harry Potter? He, he who shall not be named. He yeah. who shall not be named. <laughs> I was going to say Voldemort. I'll say Voldemort. I don't have a problem with that. Voldemort, Voldemort. <laughs> How many times are you allowed Voldemort's to Voldemort's not going to come out of your mirror and fucking kill you, huh? <laughs> yeah, but, uh. Yeah, so he's like, you know, he sees this as an opportunity to, you know, get the history of the city and, like, kind of the forgotten... It seems like almost that the legend has been forgotten except for by the people who, you know, know it. But, like, a lot of these people who've moved here, these hipster art people, don't know the legend, so they, like, think it's all a a joke, you know? Right. Yeah, so he's, like, looking for inspiration. cooked up, you know? Yeah, and he uh, ends up going to a laundromat where he meets this guy who tells him the legend. And it's about this guy who puts razor blades in kids' candies and uh, it ends up killing some a kid or something like that. And Yeah, then, like a young white girl got the candy and, and her family like called the police and blamed this guy for it. Yep, but then... Even he, though he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and then, you know, they beat him to death. And then it turns out it wasn't him because it kept happening. You know, more razor blade and candies and, you know, then the, the legend was born. Um, yeah, and the, and the, of course the white people kind of swept it under the rug. You know, like it never happened. But yeah, yeah, they, they killed an innocent man. People who lived there didn't forget, you know. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of, you know, what he represents too is like that dark history that some people want to forget, but it's really there, you know. Exactly, yeah. Those things that people want to want to forget about and want to sweep under the rug and act like they never happened. He he's the person who's like, nah, I was there and I remember it. You know? Yeah, but that's when he learns about the uh, say five times in the mirror, and of course he jokingly you know says it five times in the mirror. His girlfriend the whole time is like, hey, stop saying it. You know, this isn't funny. You know, because it's just like the first movie. You know, one of them's like, hey, this is real, and one of them's like, ah, eh, this is kind of bullshit. <laughs> right? Yeah. One of them's like, Candyman, Schmandy Man. Uh, I uh, knew I had I, one more. Oh, you know, as I say, so was I, that five? I don't know. No, no, that was four. I knew I had one more. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just used it, so I like to live life on the edge, you know? <laughs> um. Yeah, but he ends up making an art piece for, his, you know, this art dealer's, like, show. And it involves a mirror. And, like, you open the mirror and you see all this stuff inside of it. And, like, people think it's bullshit and garbage and an art critic comes in and tears it down pretty much it is saying like i forgot exactly what she said but she said it's it sucks (laughs) yeah she basically said oh it's you just told the most basic story i've ever heard about the gentrification of a neighborhood and da 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 just rips it to fucking shreds you know yeah he posts the legend with it like he gave out a flyer or something with it that gave the legend and some people start doing it and then they start dropping and he becomes kind of a hit and his art piece then gains relevance like now it's like oh man this is right. art because now it's famous or infamous however you may view it yeah. you know now it's because um, there's to... definitely both sides of that coin are explored within the movie some people think it's like a negative thing that, that he's getting so much publicity with this and some think it's you know it's great 
Yeah, and then, like, you know, it's now sort of a, a piece that's linked with, uh, you know, actual death and carnage. <laughs> right. And as we all know, death sells. Yep. Yeah, but I guess uh, we really shouldn't go more with plot from this, but essentially... Right. Yeah, that's just that's the, probably as far as we should go. Him introducing the legend back into Cabrini Green has ramifications that, I mean shake his entire life and uh yeah I, I haven't said his name yet and i love his name uh yaya uh who plays the main character is incredible and honestly one of the highlights of the movie for me was uh his performance Definitely. i think he's you know one of the best up-and-coming actors does um, a great job honestly i think all the performances were pretty solid that's one of the things that that this movie nails i think it's yeah the creepy the, the acting yeah, the laundromat guy is just super creepy. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> he gets big old creep vibes, but uh. Yeah, co- played by Coleman Domingo, but yeah, he's he's uh does a great job, and I think Tony Paris as as his uh girlfriend does a good job at being kind of the character who's stuck in the middle of all this, you know. Yeah, and then the art dealer, um, who she like or like, yeah, he's the art dealer, right? He owns the place that's. Presenting the art to sell it to make a profit. Right. Yeah, I think but, he's the gallery owner, and she's yeah, just he's the like, director. He's like a hipster douchebag, but you know he plays it well. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. He embodies the hipster douchebag. <laughs> this movie's full of uh, <laughs> hipster douchebags, at least for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not most of them don't last that long. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, yeah I think they do a lot of uh, of really, as far as the writing goes, like brilliant references and and you know homages to the original while also expanding on that kind of lore and and honestly they fleshed out what the enigma is for me more than i understood it in the first movie i think and and they that's why i think they're such good companion pieces yeah and i i I admittedly kind of like the abstractness in the first one but i don't think it was too it's because it's like the new movie is like people's it's kind of the whole thing's a metaphor for the old movie as well like people's reaction to it and like still you know because like people won't say his name you know five times just because of the movie so like he himself has become an urban legend through that you know the 1992 movie and the new movie is playing on that as well like you know like jordan peele who wrote this um knows how ingrained in the culture you know the legend is yeah and like exactly. uses that to update it in a super smart way like this might be one of the better i don't even know what you consider them like 20 year later sequels 30 year because it's like yeah like big time gap sequels i guess because you can have like halloween like, 2018 that's like really rub equals they're like reboot sequels almost because like they're they're usually quite different in a lot of ways but they also have the same structure as the you know the yeah, because like film that they're... you know, the Star Wars: The Force Awakens is a reboot sequel. You know, it's like right introduces new characters, but still has the old in it as well. So yeah, and definitely sure. this new movie, yeah, uh, like they did with Child's Play, or like they're doing with Texas Chainsaw now, and stuff like that. You know, yeah, and there's some really great uh, like horror sequences in Nia DaCosta. She is. Um, Great. Yeah, she did a great job at directing these like horror sequences. Yeah, there's pacing up and stuff. There's some crazy body body horror sequences involving you know. This one's we- much scarier than the first. Yeah, one. I definitely think that this one's definitely more of a straight up horror movie than the first yeah, one. Um, for sure. My my older kids actually watch these with us, and they obviously they like the new one better because they're not. When you're a kid, you have no patience for something that's slow, but. Like, they wanted more death and carnage in the first one, you know, so they definitely got it <laughs> with the second one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it happens quick and fast, and, you know, it's going down. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a, a lot of really good shots, too. I know you wanted to talk about the, uh... There's a sequence that we can't yeah, really one, spoil. I was but... say, I can't, I can't give away too many details, but there's, there's a couple that are really cool. There's one that's, um... Like a... 
they kind of pan outside of a window and you referenced a rear window, which is a good description of it, where you see something happening inside of a of a residence and you're looking at it from outside the residence and yeah and it's like there's a really cool shot it's happening like 20 stories up in a skyscraper so it's like the the camera's like floating there and it's like it gives it this very big scale to it that had to be a drone shot right yeah i'm not sure that was a really good shot however they filmed that or they shot it from across the street maybe i don't know maybe yeah and that zoomed it like zoomed it way in and then zoomed it way out as it went i'm not sure but yeah that looked great shot definitely a great great direction throughout um great performances uh great and like we mentioned before them the use of mirrors too there's a lot of really good shots with mirrors um that kind of smartly use them and play with your perception like because they the way they use them usually plays with what you can and can't see so they they smartly use them to raise the tension i feel like yeah there's one sequence involving uh a bathroom like bathroom stalls and like they use yeah. the stalls to hide it, and like people are looking under it because they can't look around it because they know what's around it might kill them. So they're like, uh, you know, trying right. to look under it. And I really like that how they use yeah, that that's too. Great, to kind of great scene. Yeah, like great blocking, like to block and the fact that that, that there is a scene in a in a school bathroom, which is like we talked about earlier, kind of where this was born, part of where this whole thing was born. You know, so that's kind of a back to the rooting it in reality thing. Yeah, like it, like, like you said, the Bloody Mary thing, like, um, yeah, you know, that definitely felt very accurate what was happening in that sequence. But I mean, just yeah, I say very very timely update and um, one I think that will be uh talked about for a long time to come. And I'm curious if they do a sequel to it as well. Yeah, it seems to be doing well so far. So it's yeah, definitely probably in the cards, but I'm not. I sure. I don't think it needs one. It doesn't. But, no, I think it's it's a solid like. You get both sides of the of the you know the Enigma coin here with these two movies. It almost be a, like they they take such a risk of ruining it. I feel like if they make another one. Yeah, that, and Jordan <laughs> Jordan Peele doesn't seem to be interested in doing franchise stuff. Like he's like, nope. I'm I'm you know gonna make this amazing thing and uh, you know that's it. Yeah. Like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna sit with it, and I'm gonna move on to the next thing. <laughs> did you catch did you catch my my subtle reference? Uh, I said nope, and that's actually the name of his next movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did not catch that. That's funny. <laughs> uh, do you get it? Do you get my joke? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think uh, this movie was great, and. Definitely, like I said, raised my enjoyment of the original, and and watching the original prior definitely allowed me to to appreciate this new one and, and enjoy it on a level I otherwise wouldn't have, you know. So it's definitely if you if you haven't seen the original, or even if you have, I think give it a watch before you go check this new one out, and I think you'll find yourself uh, glad that you did that, you know. And yeah. Granted, you don't have to see see the original, um, but like we said, it covers it v- via flashbacks with the cool animated sequences and stuff. But I just think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you if you hadn't, you know. Yeah, you'd almost be like catching the Cliff Notes version of the right, you know, the first movie, and you're also getting it like how we said, you know, unreliably through these stories by other people who weren't there. So, like, they right. don't know the actual story, so they're, like, changing things that we know are not true, you know? So. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too. You brought up to me that there's a there's a whole slew of, of fan theories floating around on the internet um, about what certain things in this movie mean and were certain scenes meant to be interpreted the way that they seem to be or, you know, what's real and what isn't. And there's a lot of, of cool theories about that, and I... I definitely myself want to explore some of those and I urge the listeners to check that out. Cause that definitely is interesting to me. I think when people and that's kind a, of dissect movies and create, that's those. another reason I love this franchise now, because I mean, I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I mean, I, I seen the, the original, I don't know, probably a year ago, like last October. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then I rewatched it for this and, uh, enjoyed it again. So like, and then this new one's great too, and I'll definitely rewatch it once it's on VOD or Blu-ray. Um, yeah, 
but like you don't get the the because like Friday the Thirteenth, there's no interpretation to it. You know, he he kills them all, you know, or whatever. <laughs> there's not a lot of right really deep interpretation to be had, but with this franchise, there is. Like, there's absolutely you know, yeah yeah the political subtext the uh, the the i the the lore the legend of him does he exist does he not exist what does it mean you know what do the characters actions like imply yeah and like, honestly like even though I take a little issue with how abstract the first one is that abstractness is what allowed that this franchise to become that you know so yeah. It it definitely like it feeds into the fact that you're able to interpret it in different ways and explore the kind of messaging and metaphors that are hidden within it. And it, and it couldn't have it couldn't have been set up like that unless it was that same level of abstractness. So yeah, I think it you know is a positive thing still for the movie, even though I I myself wasn't crazy about how it played out. I I think that it just like you said, it creates this whole infinite lore about this character that you can explore and, and create your own theories on. Yeah, and you could tell endless stories within it too. And I, as we talked about with the end title or end credit sequence of the new one, like they tell different legends of it, which is super yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it, if, you know, you think you know this character, you. you 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 probably don't, you know, because I think there's just so much more to Candyman. Oh, you're gonna say it a fifth then, time. You're really gonna push it. I came for you. Oh, what the fuck? <clears throat> he he's dead. 